This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. On the 24th of February 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine in a major escalation of the Russo-Ukrainian war which began in 2014. The invasion has resulted in tens of thousands of deaths on both sides and caused Europe's largest refugee crisis since World War II, with an estimated 8 million Ukrainians fleeing the country. For most of us, this is a distant conflict, one we do not fully understand or comprehend. However, having had the opportunity to interview a Ukrainian refugee family, the reality of this human tragedy becomes apparent. Margarita Matsevich and her family were forced to flee their homeland into neighbouring Slovakia at the start of the war, along with her son, her daughter, even her own mother, and her cousin, Olya Lavskaya. Margarita has experienced firsthand the trauma of war and upheaval on a scale last witnessed in the late 1930s and 1940s. To think this is happening today is unimaginable. Listen here as their tale is told. It is a story that should make us all stop and take stock of our own situations. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your family? Uh, sure. So here in Slovakia, it's, it's me, my two children, my mom and my cousin. And our brothers, our dad, well, our men, they had to stay behind in Ukraine. Uh, back there, we had good jobs, we had house, we were planning holidays, and nobody even dreamt about something like this happen. Uh, my well, my cousin's family, they are from Kharkiv, which is town in eastern Ukraine near the Russian border. Her mom and dad lived there. Well, they lived until the war started, and uh, we convinced them to come to live with us uh, in Kiev, uh, which is the capital city. Uh, her husband stayed behind as well. And they also had good jobs, you know, they were planning holidays, they just wanted to live a good life, but it all has changed. We left the capital uh, on 24th of February, in the morning, right after the war began. Uh, and, you know, the day before we were just living a normal life, planning the next day at work, doing homework with kids, uh, we had a nice family dinner in the evening. But unfortunately, our plans and plans of millions of Ukrainians have changed drastically. We had a decision to make, uh, which was to run away or, or stay through the war. So for those of us listen, uh, listening in South Africa now, can you describe your country for us? Sure. Uh, Ukraine is a beautiful, beautiful country. It's, it's very big. We have uh, plains and mountains and rivers and seas, Black and Azov Sea. Uh, the big river Dnepr divides the whole Ukraine from north to south. People are very friendly and happy. <laughs> our, our president is, or he was, a comedian. We, we have absolutely everything to live well. We have beautiful, rich cities and there is a lot of work. We have amazing nature and wildlife and animals. And <laughs> what we've noticed is that our soil is so fertile, it's so black. And that was our observation when we first arrived here in Slovakia, that the soil here is slightly different, it's much lighter, you know, because we work a lot in gardens and we grow our own fruit and veg. 
and uh, we can we can see the difference in soil. In Ukraine, whatever you plant, everything grows. You could see it in in any village in there. Uh, maybe people don't have big house or a big plot, but they always have a garden and they grow their, their own food. And uh, even if somebody doesn't have work, they support themselves like that, that they provide for themselves. Ukrainians, they, they work hard and the country is very beautiful. Also, I want to say that the war showed us the character of people, uh, the strong togetherness and everybody's helping each other, however they can. Some people are bringing and sharing petrol and gas, the others are baking bread, uh, sharing the water for people on the front line. Some people are taking photos and documenting the situation. Uh, army and, uh, and the soldiers, they are being helped by volunteers and ordinary people a lot. In, uh, in my view, Russia started occupation of Ukraine in 2014 already, when they annexed Crimea. Uh, before that, I, my husband, my family, my mom, my kids, we went there for holidays regularly. And I don't know any people that wanted Crimea to become Russian. We had friends there and uh, we visited them often. Actually, I've been, do I've been going there for, for the past 20 years, for over 20 years, when I was still a little girl. And then when I had my son, we took him there for holidays. Uh, unfortunately, my daughter was born after 2014 and after the annexation, and it was very dangerous to go after that. So how did you end up coming here to Slovakia? Yes, yeah, Slovakia, uh, because my brother lives here. <clears throat> he's a chef in the capital, in Bratislava. He lives there, he's got a flat, and he's there with his girlfriend, who is from Ukraine as well. And they really like the country. And uh, after the war broke out on 24th of February, we really hoped that it will be sorted diplomatically, but like within 10 days. But then there are atrocities were happening in Bucha and, uh, you know, you've seen it on news. It was, uh, Slovakia was the closest country to escape to. And also the factor was that my brother is there. So we, we lived in his flat for first two weeks. We traveled for a long time. I mean, first few days we had to adapt and that was hard. We arrived to Slovakia and, and we immediately noticed the beautiful, beautiful nature and uh, there were many volunteers and good people helping. Uh, we felt their support and their solidarity. People here are, are really good. They organize special centers of the help for Ukrainian people. They like, you know, many, many others just like us were in the same situation. We were exhausted after the trip. Uh, we literally left with the backpacks. Uh, we didn't have anything apart from our passports and documents and uh, one set of clothes. So so the volunteers, they helped us a lot when it comes to material support, but also psychological help. They they kept our spirits up. We, we found our current accommodation uh, where we are now on internet. Uh, the owner was offering uh, his holiday home to host the family from Ukraine. So we reacted to that very first offer and uh, there were 
plenty of other options to stay in, even in Bratislava, but uh, psychologically, uh, it would be hard to, for us to adapt to life in a big city, you know. And uh, we were really happy to come to a small village, to a quiet village, because also the first time we heard a plane flying over us, we actually panicked, we, we freaked out. Before we witnessed uh, the Russian jets and Ukrainian jets fighting in the Ukrainian skies and uh, in Kiev, and the sound of a plane really, really freaked us out. You mentioned that you were witnessing the the, the uh, aircraft fighting in the sky. Can you also describe your other experiences of the actual war before you left Ukraine? Well, I, as I said before, I, I believe the war actually started in 2014. And... Uh, my brother's girlfriend, she is from the Donbass, Donbass and Luhansk region, and she had to leave. Uh, first she came to us, to Kiev, and then they left together for Slovakia. As for us, our family, thank God, they didn't experience the full horrors of the war. You know, our eldest were always saying, everything is okay for as long as there is no war. And you don't really understand it, unless you experience it yourself. Uh, so when it started, uh, my brother's friend helped us to leave Kiev. We, we stayed in a nearby village for three days and then we went on the road again. Uh, there were many volunteers, people giving out hot drinks, food, etc. Uh, it was so cold. I mean, it was March already, 9th of March when we got to the border, but it was really, really cold. As my, my cousin Ola, she she actually says that her first experience of war was in 2014. You maybe remember that the uh, passenger plane was shot down uh, over Donbass uh, by the Russian separatists. And the hundreds of people and children, they died. They, I think they were flying from Amsterdam. Uh, yeah, we cried a lot. The, the the poor, poor lives. I think I cried for a week. But you know, uh, our lives went on. You have to live. We went to work. We got on with the life. And uh, then this year, in on 24th of February, I woke up in the morning near Kiev and I heard explosions. And immediately called my cousin, my husband and my mom and it was at 5 uh, five a.m. and within one hour or couple of hours we got to the car and left. At 7 a.m. we were on the road already. So, but there were so many, so many people leaving Kiev that the journey that usually takes us 30 minutes, it took us six hours so we didn't get far because everybody was on the road. So we stayed in a nearby village in a friend's house and it was such a shock. I cried for about 10 days. I broke down and I didn't sleep. We didn't have enough bread. We drank hot tea and I put so much sugar in just to have some glucose, you know, some energy. Uh, it was, again, a lot of people in that house. And every time we heard a plane, we ran downstairs to the cellar to hide. We've seen rockets flying around, which I've seen it with, our, with my own eyes. When I went out of the cellar once, just to see what's happening, because it was getting darker, uh, a rocket flew just over my head really, really low. 
So I I started running back to towards the cellar, and but the rocket hit the ground, and the the force the the wave literally threw me back into the cellar. Uh, the force was incredible. Uh, we understood that we had to leave that village, and because now the whole Kiev region was occupied, and I couldn't I couldn't stand the sound of sirens. I was covering my ears because I knew. I knew what was coming. Also, now when we call home and we speak to our men, we can we can hear the sounds of sirens in the background. It gives me shivers that noise just because that's the life they live there. And then, uh, well, from Vinica, that's the village where we stayed, we departed for Slovakia. We had assigned children written on our car so they don't shoot us. But from what I've seen. On the road, the sign wouldn't save us. We've seen Russian tanks that were shooting at everything, at cars with women and children, at old people. It was difficult to leave my family, to say goodbye to my husband. He stayed at home with his mother and his sister. So when we were driving through the Kiev region, we've, we've seen destroyed houses of civilians. It was absolutely no military bases there, as the Russian propaganda broadcast on the TV. We just can't understand how smart people can believe these lies. What can I say? We we believe that Ukraine will win, whether it takes 10 or 20 years. And <laughs> I'm telling you, every Russian after that will say, oh, I did not support this war. I was afraid to go out to the street. They pride themselves on sending people to space, big Russian superpower, by being, you know, the curing illnesses and helping others, and they started a war on us. The world's superpower don't even have proper roads. People live without running water there, without electricity or flushing toilets or internet. Uh, all they see on their TV is the propaganda. I understand that uh, Second World War ended in German defeat, but for many years people really believed what Hitler was telling them, and that... He wanted, on, only wanted good for his people, but, I mean, how can you kill thousands of innocent people to achieve any good? I don't understand it. We know the history, and uh, I tell you now, Hitler is now sitting in Moscow, in Kremlin. So you had to leave almost immediately when the when the conflict started. Um how traumatic was your journey to Slovakia? You were traveling with your family, with your children. How was it? It it, it was it was difficult uh, and hard. As I said, we've seen uh, destroyed cars and uh, and dead people, uh, and we finally crossed the border to Slovakia on 9th of March. We waited for a while, uh, but we understood we had to do this. Uh, <clears throat> our brother, the one who lives in Slovakia, he picked us up from the border and we were so tired. It was sad to realize that just over the border there is a raging war, while here in Slovakia is peace. Um, when we were waiting there to be processed at the border, uh, I was freezing and as soon as, as they seen, uh, the volunteers that they seen us, they came down to us with hot tea and I just broke down and 
Anya, my daughter, she's just eight years old. She was <laughs> wrapped up in layers of clothing. She looked like the, you know, the Russian doll. It's called Matryoshka, you know, like doll in the doll in the doll. People were so kind to us. They they gave us drinks and food, and I just cried. I couldn't keep it together anymore. Anya, Anya was given a soft toy, and we were just so thankful to those people. We cried tears of relief, of happiness, and all the emotions at once. It was hard. It's uh, it's difficult to understand how it all came to this. You had to leave the men in your family behind, which must have been an incredibly hard thing to do. What is their situation now? Yeah, uh, well, my husband, he still has his job. Uh, but obviously, because of the situation, there is no normal working conditions. Uh, he and his team, they are repairing cars, so the people are able to drive. Uh, I'm sure they have anxiety, but they are trying to hide it from us. I mean, when we call, when he, when he calls us and texts us, uh, he says that when we are all back together, he will not lose a single day to be with his family. Obviously, my dad misses his mom, his wife. She's here with us. My dad, uh, he's uh, he's going to to our village, which is in Sunni region now, because the situation calmed down a little bit now, and it's it's relatively close to a Russian border. Uh, so I I wonder. Uh, what it looks like because around 1,000 Russian tanks passed through the village before and they bombarded the center, so I wonder how it looks. But people of the village and and the friends, they will look after him and as far as I know, he's, uh, he's selling potatoes now. It's also dangerous to walk in forests now because uh, there's been uh, landmines land left behind. But if I could describe it, it's beautiful and it's uh, rich in wildlife, animals, there are lakes and woodlands. The village was occupied for about three or four weeks. And from what I know uh, is that people were hiding inside their houses or even in a cemetery. Only one person was killed. They shot him in his own backyard. But that that called us yesterday and... He arrived safely and he said that the road that was destroyed by Russians is now fixed. So that's a good sign. Um, so to this day, thank God, my, my father and my husband and my brother, they are safe. They don't fight. They have jobs. But many of our friends are fighting. And my husband is keeping in touch with them and he supports them as a volunteer with food, a water, clothes, medicine, with anything they need, and and he can get. We also speak with our friends who are on the front line. So when we call, they they always say like, "Oh, don't worry, everything is okay. We are all okay." But I can say that they are not okay. I can hear the noise and the sound of rockets and shooting and bombarding in the background. So we, we pray to God every day that he protects them all. So difficult. Um, 
I want all women, all doctors on the front to come back alive. Fathers, brothers, husbands, to come back to their families, to their wives and to their children. So you've moved here to Slovakia. How it is? How is it living here? Come on, be honest. How have you found it? <laughs> no, it's very good. It's very good. People welcomed us here with open arms and they call us and ask us if we need anything. It was the same while we were in Bratislava. And then we've been there for two weeks and then we moved to here. And we were amazed by the beautiful nature and surroundings and the people were amazing as well. They brought us warm clothes, food and everything we needed. Uh, the mayor of this village and his whole family, they are wonderful and caring. And also the owner of this house is calling us regularly, checking if we are okay. Neighbors and friends are nice. My children by now, they, they found friends and they play with them every day and they visit them. <laughs> and their friends, they say that my children, they speak a good Slovak now. So it's only been six months, but maybe they don't read very well, but they can speak. And, and I'm, I'm very proud of them because they did this in six months. My son is 13. He, he reads the Slovakian newspapers and the other day he, he asked me, uh, like, Mom, if, if Russians will come here, where will we run? Where will my friends go? So I know that he understands what's going on and that he's afraid. He's been affected psychologically a lot by this war. We even found jobs here. And I, I still have a job in Ukraine and I had a hobby, which is photography. Uh, so I do it here too. And as for the job, uh, we work in a, in a cake shop where they, where they bake cakes. And <laughs> we didn't know anything about that kind of work before, but they told us everything. And we helped with like decorating cakes and cutting them and dipping them in chocolates and so on. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to go back to Ukraine one day. Uh, the company I work for, they gave us opportunity to work remotely so people can somehow adapt. Also, I want to say that People here in Slovakia and absolute strangers, they came to us and made us feel at home. <laughs> I don't even know how they heard, probably heard that, oh, some Ukrainians are coming to the village. And uh, they are coming and they're offering all kinds of help. And uh, we are forever thankful for that. Funny thing, sometimes we didn't even understand the language they were saying and they didn't understand us. But we knew that they were kind. There were even people from different villages coming and wanting to help. And even if they just come to say hi and to have a coffee and a little chat with us and we have a little cry, you know, it makes us feel welcome and included. Just the fact that they want to know about us, about our story and about our experience, that's humbling. And uh, also, even if somebody in the village just say, hello, how are you? Yeah, that's nice. So we also know that there are plenty of people who support or defend Russian action in Ukraine. But luckily, we didn't meet any here. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe we, we radiate some kind of 
good aura or, you know, the people that only good people gravitate towards us. I don't know. Um, and we also try to help uh, and return favors to people too, whether it's a family occasion or some celebration. I offer to take photos and edit them or just to help in, in any way I'm able to. I promote the village on Facebook. I create some content there. We enjoy it around here. We try to go to places, to, to different towns and visit churches and historical buildings, the synagogue. I mean, we absorb and admire the culture. So we go to parks, we are very active. And also we were lucky to meet good people who show us around. You mentioned how this uh, has impacted on your son in particular. I mean, tell me how all of this has really affected your children. Yeah, the effect is, is negative, obviously. Um, I've seen fear in my children's eyes, tears in my mother's eyes, and I worry about my children. When, when we were still in Ukraine, ugh, my mindset was, if I have to die, I just want to die quickly. I don't want to suffer and be tortured because we, we know what the Russians were doing to women and children. We've been through a, a, a terrible ordeal and you only realize that you don't need any material things. A holidays, newest clothes or expensive houses and cars. You just need to hang on to your life. You want peace and you don't want to look at rockets in the sky. You just want to be alive and with your children and your family. So when we arrived here and the children adapted quite quickly. But the problem was that physically we were here, but mentally we were still in Ukraine at home. So we didn't escape the news and the media and we see what's going on. Like men, women and children dying, and mothers crying by the children's graves. And the people in Russia, you know, the ordinary, normal people in Russia, they are opening a bottle of champagne to cheers, liberating of Ukraine. No, come on. They are excusing and reasoning all the murders that are happening. And uh, I know they are brainwashed by propaganda, but I just don't get it. I just don't understand them. So in here we try to keep busy. We have those jobs. We, the, the children started school again. They are, they are, for now, they are learning online. My son is in sixth year and my daughter is in the second year. And the difference between Slovakian schools and Ukrainian schools are that in Slovakia, kids have two months holidays in summer. And in Ukraine, we have three months holidays, June, July and August. My children and like all the refugee children, they were learning from distance. And, and the, <laughs> the teacher tried to be really uplifting and motivating. She was telling them that they need to finish their school year online in order to come back to school again. And my little daughter, she got so excited saying like, Mama, Mama, hooray, we're going back home. You know, and I looked at my mom and I could see her crying because, because we know that it's not what is going to happen, at least not not in the near future. So for the for the new school year, my children will go to Slovakian school in Poltar, which is a small town nearby. I wonder a lot if they will adapt well, but 
we will still do the Ukrainian online schooling because it's good for them, you know, to just see their friends from home. We have very good teachers in Ukraine and my kids are doing English lessons online as well because it's an international number one language and I want them to speak English. And our English teacher, she's Ukrainian and currently she's in the UK. She 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 escaped to UK with her son and she's teaching from there and and her family is also in Ukraine. Um, you know, people leave for many reasons and people also stay for many reasons. I mean, so many stayed because they had elderly parents or sick children or like no means to travel. Our hearts bleed for people who are left behind. And, but, you know, we believe that the truth will win and that the Ukraine will win. Tomorrow, my cousin Ola, she's returning back to Ukraine because her husband was called to war. He was okay up until now. He was he was working. But now he's got some time to to do the medical checks before he goes. So she just wants to be with him. And they haven't been married for long and they want children. So as she said, they are going to make children. They want to make baby before he goes to, to the front line. And she's also homesick because her, her parents and grandparents who are 82, she seen them before before war and before COVID. She seen them like every two weeks, even though they live like 300 kilometers away. You know, we are a close family. So she wants to see them again. And now we've only seen them online, I, physically. She hasn't seen them for over a year. And uh, as for me, I, I also want to return to Ukraine. It is my country. My husband is there. My dad is there. <laughs> I have a very good husband. And my children are missing him a lot, especially my daughter, because, you know, she's she's daddy's girl. And he's he's very good to me. If If he could, he would carry me around in his arms. I really want to go back. We, before the war, we had a very active lives. Kids were into sports and we were swimming and we were going to weekends away. We we're going to picnics and trips and uh, <laughs> cooking classes. Uh, my daughter had a painting class every Saturday. Uh, her art teacher also immigrated with her son. Yeah, we used to go roller skating or just biking. You know, we, we were very active and happy together. But for now, I will not go back. Only if Ukraine wins and the war is over, because I have no right to risk my children's lives. It's so dangerous right now. Uh, you know, in Zaporizhia region, there is a big nuclear 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 plant that Russians hold and if that exploded it would be 10 times worse than Chernobyl and it's not just Ukraine the whole Europe would be burning and I couldn't go home now because even if I went there now if I were at work and my children were at school or at home I just couldn't relax 
you know, I would be always wondering, are they okay? Are they safe? I couldn't do it. What are your thoughts and attitudes towards ordinary Russian people? Not Putin or the soldiers, I mean ordinary people. What do you think of them? Hmm. If, if I could send them a message, I would say, put yourself in our shoes. If somebody came to your home or killed your husband and your mom and said, now I will live here, how, how would you like it? I mean, Putin, in the last years, he made sure people don't think with their brains and they think how they are told to think. For the last 20 years, there was such propaganda in Russia on all the Russian TV channels that people started to think and believe what they heard and that there's no critical thinking and many people just they close their eyes they shut their ears because they worry about persecutions you know they worry about losing their jobs or if, if they went against it but it's worrying that ordinary russians believe ukraine is their land they act just like germans before the world war ii they believe even slovakia baltic states and other lands other countries uh, belong to them. Uh, but Ukraine doesn't want to belong to Russia. Ukraine wants to be an independent state. And all I want to tell to Russians who are defending this war is I wish you the same Russian peace that the Russians are spreading in Ukraine. I wish the Russian peace came to your home. And I believe whether it's... Uh, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, that the truth will win and that Ukraine will hold and that the history will remember this unjust war. I pray every night for people who fled Ukraine that they are able to return one day. And I thank God that I am alive and healthy and that my family is alive and my dad and my husband and my friends. This is a awesome message from my cousin Ola. She says that we know our history and the facts are facts. In 1933, Stalin introduced pogromy in Ukraine. They were sending people from Ukraine to gulags, to the work camp, labor camps. And the Russification of Ukrainian territory was happening. So, and during his regime and after him, people with opposing opinions in in Russia were emigrating. The influential people like singers and actors who are still there, they will not help. We try to reach out for them, to speak out against it, but they won't do anything because they are worried about their own careers. They're worried that they'll end up in prison and and... We try to appeal to them, but nothing happened. We need a voice in Russia. My cousin's mom is Russian, and she has three aunts and other family living there. And uh, they are in shock. They just can't believe what's happening. Nobody expected this to escalate into a war. Uh, but they also have this mindset that I don't matter. My voice don't matter. It's too many millions of Russians that support this war. 
So with what if I am against it? It won't make a difference. Also, I'm angry. Like how many rich Russians that are supporting this atrocity don't even live in there. I mean, they are all over the Europe and the world, living in London and in Paris and, you know, having a lavish life. Uh, if they love Russia so much, why don't they go back? I would deport them back. You know, the propaganda was working hard for, for over the last 20 years. And this po at this point, there is no love left in Russian hearts. And it's just hatred and, and a feeling of inferiority. And should I say that we as Ukrainians, we have a different mindset than Russians. For example, on the 9th of May every year, uh, we celebrate the end of the World War II, which is, you know, okay. But Russians, they celebrate by singing, drinking, shouting and being overly happy. We, Ukrainians, we celebrate calmly and we pray and we cry. And we cry for all those lost lives. It's not a party. The whole world suffered. So we thank the veterans who won the war. And we cry for the dead ones. We cry for all the mothers that didn't get to see their sons and husband anymore. So, Margarita, may I ask, what are your hopes for your country and for your family? Well, I wish my country a peace. I wish the truth to win and our people return from abroad. And I wish to rebuild. And I believe there is a bright future for Ukraine. We have hardworking people, beautiful land, beautiful nature. We are ready for investments from Europe and from further away. I, I wish for my country to be able to offer jobs for Ukrainians so they don't need to go and live abroad. I wish we rebuild factories and work the fields again. And, you know, Ukraine is a country with great opportunities. With our president at the top, I believe Ukraine will successfully fight for its independence. And maybe it will take longer than a couple of years, but I believe it will happen. And I also wish for good government, not pro-Russian, but independent and with the best interests of Ukrainians in mind. Uh, I really want Ukraine to flourish. And I also hope we beat corruption. And uh, I hope that Ukraine will rebuild itself with the help of European partners, not Russian. And finally, do you have a message to the people in South Africa who may not understand or even appreciate what's happening at the moment? Yeah, I, I want to say to all South Africans, smile at your loved ones, at your children, at your friends. Enjoy every day and enjoy every day in peace. Pray, read a lot, don't watch too much TV, <laughs> listen to good music, paint and, I don't know, be creative, work, enjoy your sports. Don't, don't waste your time doing shallow things, you know, and love each other and appreciate every new day. Appreciate the life, appreciate the people, help each other, love your country and do everything possible for it to flourish because your children will continue living there. And do good, be kind and be good.
And I seen this on Facebook the other day and I took this quote. Do good and be kind because goodness and love can save the world. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute privilege and honor to meet you and your family and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za. I hope you found this episode both entertaining and inspirational. Please do download, share and subscribe to the podcast so that we can highlight the positive stories coming out of our nation. South Africa is indeed a special place with special people. You can find out more about me at my website, deanallen.co.za. Please do get in touch. So until next time, please be kind to yourself and others. Goodbye.